Hello, and welcome to some Derps Talk About Games. I'm your co-host, Mango. And I am your co-host, Buddy. And today we're going to talk a little bit about dungeon design and Pathfinder. Before we do that, Buddy, why don't you tell the folks at home what it is we do on this podcast. Uh, on this podcast, uh, we like to talk about games, tabletop, video games. Uh, it's funny, we actually made the change a couple of weeks ago. Long-time listeners will recognize it. We typically like would open with our weeks. Oh, hey, what are you playing? Right? Like, how are the D&D games over the past couple of weeks or so or whatever? Um, but um, uh, the... Now we have shifted those to the end of the podcast, and this one's funny because it would be such a natural uh, digression from our our normal week. Uh, (laughs) Anyway, if if you want to, we we can talk about. I assume you mean the uh, the dungeon we just traipsed through in Hell's Rebels. Yeah, we just took two sessions to go all the way through the final dungeon of Book Two of Hell's Rebels, uh, which is why this is just kind of on my mind in terms of it being a topic. so, so we'll save the video game stuff for the end, but I think in the spirit of, of this topic, I think I think we should go over um, Hell, Hell's Rebels first, then. Okay, fair enough. Um, well, what happened is uh, you guys got... So, um, it had been established earlier that, uh, that the Covenant of Lilith was working in the city somewhere, and you guys got the key... Or, you guys finished out your kind of three priorities ranking set of sessions and you got the key and the location to where um the coven of lilith is based from and went to go clear them out and hey simultaneously get a new awesome base uh for for the rebellion um the hope with these is always to get them done in one one go but i guess that just doesn't seem to happen um and, uh, uh, but we did it in two, which I am, I am happy about. Uh, and now we can get on to book three. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I'm excited. Um, it was, it was, uh, it was, it was a fun set of sessions, even for, for, for me when I didn't have a, a ton to do. I think, I think that, you know, the, the set of options available to Beauregard is really shaping up. Um, I think the party's really kind of coming together. Um, on its, you know, in, into its own, um, everything needs to be flowing smoothly. Everybody's kind of got a rhythm of what they do right, and so um, combat can be very satisfying as a result. Yeah, um, I was, uh, I was very happy, kind of how, uh, how turned on, I guess every. So, you know, the, there are times I feel like when, um, you know, someone is clearly like disengaged, and it's hard to, you know, you know what I mean? Like it's a little hard to deal with that to a certain extent. Um, but uh, I felt like this was the the proper, you know, everyone was. Uh, yeah, everyone was there. Everyone yeah. was contributing. Um, and uh, I, I, I think it went, like, from that perspective, I think it went smoothly. Obviously, there were some ups and downs in, in the actual combat and storytelling. But there wasn't a lot of, like, there wasn't a lot of, like, player drift, if that makes sense. Um, yeah, yeah, I feel that. Um. So yeah, but you know, obviously to, to tie into the topic, there was this big old dungeon. I'm, I'm curious, how much of this dungeon did you pull for straight from the AP, and how much did you? Uh, well, so yeah, so the map was entirely pulled straight from the AP, um, and I I w- essentially wiped the first couple of encounters. You know, I actually can just pull up the book to see what I wiped. Because beastmen don't exist in the regular book, but obviously this is Coven of Lilith, I knew I needed to have some beastmen in there, so I kind of chunked it out to myself as like. You know, the first bit, I guess, is um, 
the first bit is Beastmen. It's kind of like quarters, right? Like Beastmen, Coven of Lilith, but they haven't gone too far into the, you know, they haven't gone too far into things. Then we have a little undead section-ish, right, of the old defenses from the old guild. Um, then we have the scum half of the underwater stuff and the monster half of the underwater stuff. Spoiler, obviously, I wiped basically all of the monster stuff because we just kind of were pressed for time. And uh, we didn't really have any leeway when it came to uh, uh, when it came to this stuff. But um, yeah, so I very, I very heavily wiped that first kind of quarter of the dungeon. Actually, I mean, to kind of go back even further... This book was built to have an underlying threat of a different cult that was abducting people. Um, there was actually a cult abducting people in book one, right? The, the Red Jills exist. Um, but, uh, uh, and then there's another cult abducting people in book two. And it's one of those frustrating things that I re like looked at and I was like, this should be the same cult, right? It is a better story if this is a better you know, if this is the same cult with a through line, essentially. Um, so I was, so I, I kind of subsumed that stuff. I turned it into the Coven of Lilith, which doesn't exist at all in, uh, in the Pathfinder, uh, you know, straight in from the, the book version from it. Yeah, the, in the AP there, it's actually, in, the other thing I hated about it is in the AP, it's another set of devils, um, which I was kind of like, I think if you, if you have two big bads both using devils, like, I guess it makes all of your lawful outsider Bane shit really good, but, like... Yeah, also, why, why would there be a second set of devils operating and so that wouldn't be operating with Barzillai through? Yeah, it's a, it's a second set of devils. They're, they're worshipping a sub-god in Hell, but not an Asmodee, but, like, not Asmodeus himself. So they're not part of the church, which is why they're underground... Even and I was just like and so you know like they summon so there's a summon devil that you fight it was just I was like what the fuck is this? Yeah, I feel like you could make that interesting. I feel like you could you could have a plot of like you know you know maybe like another rebellion group or, or something like that where it's like oh they're also evil shits they also worship devils just you know different ones or they don't like the way that these ones do it or whatever yeah right like they're. They're, they're Protestant devil worshippers trying to overthrow the Catholic devil worshippers. Yeah, I mean, and, that, and to be honest, that's actually basically what the Coven of... Well, it's, well, okay, it's not basically, but, like, that that dynamic is really what I'm trying to tap into with the Coven of Lilith here, right? It's just, instead of Asmodeus, they want Lamash to, uh, essentially. But I think that the change in alignments is, is, is an important factor to it, right? When you're dealing with agents of... Um, you know, when you're dealing with agents of House Thrun, you know that they're lawful evil, right? But when you're dealing with Coven of Lilith, you know that they're chaotic evil. And that plays into uh, how they're willing to kind of go about stuff, I think, and how you're willing to interface with them. Um, sure. Yeah, no, I, 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 I think... Yeah, no, I, I, I think I think uh, the Coven of Lilith has, has actually been a lot of fun to fight. The the Beast Blood mechanics is, are interesting at the very least. I am glad that we didn't have to fight a whole dungeon full of them, though I think it would have gotten tedious if it had gone on for the whole dungeon. That's, you know what? That is precisely, I was, I thought about actually wiping the, uh, the, the undead half, uh, on the back half of those, uh, with like the wretch ghosts and there's some ghasts in there and there's Loralu the ghost, um, uh, guild master or whatever. Um, but I, I just decided not to get close. I, you cause so I like the interaction of boiling blood uh, on a long-term scale, right? I think dealing with stacks of boiling blood, right? Like 
just being sickened for two or three encounters in a row, right? Like, I actually think that that's so... Or, like, the thing where... It's not it's not a huge deal if I take two damage every time I roll an attack roll, but, you know, in, in the context of one fight. But in multiple fights, that, that takes a giant toll on how the character plays, right? Um, and you can be looking at, you know, you know, 10, right, damage, 15, well, I guess 16 damage, um coming in just from kind of not having a good way of having dealt with the the boiling blood. So um, I wanted it to be across a couple of encounters, but not a million of them. Okay, that makes sense. Though, uh, uh, you know, and I mean, you know, so I to explain that point better than I did, the point was you get a bunch of boiling blood stacks and you clear as much of them as you can and you have some tools to clear them, but then maybe you have one or two people who are carrying two stacks into the rest of the dungeon and they have to deal with that, right? So you're not getting new stacks when you're fighting wretch ghosts, but you're still feeling the yeah, effects of the old it. stacks that you didn't wipe. Obviously, delayed poison communal kind of beat that strategy. Um, it's one of those things where I kind of hate that it invalidates the mechanics so thoroughly, but I also want to, I don't want to stamp out you know, good strategy, right? Yeah. Um, so. Yeah, I, I feel like that's kind of, like, it's a hard thing to do because, like, you know, there's this level of, like, you know, oh, I managed to get through this part because I was clever and I had this particular advantage, but it feels uh, it feels a little bit less meaningful because there's less, like, like, it feel, I think I feel like that feels good in, like, say, like, a video game because you know that there's, like, a hundred other people out there that didn't do that, and you're like, ha-ha, but I was clever, and I had the right thing. Um, but I've, but there's not necessarily that kind of guarantee. Like, each each encounter you hit in D&D is kind of, like, the one that you hit, if that makes sense. Um, and it's very localized to your party, so it feels a little bit weird to kind of skip it with with strategy, but I do think it's kind of necessary in order for those, those choices to be meaningful, right? Like, if... Um, if if somehow you finagled it so it didn't work, then you know why ever take delay poison because you know any anything you encounter is going to be important enough that you can't defeat it using the normal means. So you might as well just take another fireball spell instead. Or you, yeah, you, you and, know and what so I mean. and the and and to me, so like to me, whenever there's an issue where magic invalidates something, the better answer is to use magic to invalidate that right back, essentially. And that's what actually happened in the dungeon, because there were two clerics, obviously. Um, at the very end, you had Lucella, uh, who was the the uh, the uh, beast woman uh, cleric, and, uh, and then there was a cleric right at the top, and they were both charged and ready to go with just dispel magic all over you guys, right? That was, like, the whole reason that I had them there and that, uh, you know... Um, but, uh, but you did a fairly good job of taking them out first. Uh, obviously tall hit her huge power spike and was able to grapple and get, um, uh, and get Lucella from, uh, being a huge, huge danger because the danger of that Savager fight is if she can cast, if she can dispel magic, uh, really really prime targets with a ton of stacks of boiling blood i think that would have been uh, that would have been the secret to that encounter being um like like really hardcore dangerous right right you know i agree the first cleric didn't even get the cast off the first cleric got like murked in the first round or something uh oh she failed her save against the fireball you know that you know so i you know 
that that stuff uh, I prepared for it, but you know, strategies, counter strategies, it goes back and forth. I'm not yep. I'm not mad about it whatsoever. Yeah, Alaric blowing one of his one of his you know low amount high high kind of like power resource yeah. slots to not deal with that problem. I think is more than a, a fair trade off. Especially especially when you know the the context of the dungeon is that you guys are going to be fighting a ton of encounters, right? That's a big resource expenditure. I actually don't even mind. You know, if you guys had sat there and bought a bunch of potions of neutralized poison, I would have actually been okay with that just because that's a lot of gold, right? Right, right, right. Um, and I think uh, and I think that from like that kind of strategy perspective, and this is a little bit, I mean, to kind of, I guess, transition more thoroughly into like dungeon design, right? Switching gears from hardcore burst, which is what most of the combat in Hell's Rebels has to be because we have to fit that three-hour time slot, to long-term attrition is like a really important uh, aspect um, when it comes to uh, when it comes to d designing these dungeons. In fact, to be honest, I think I probably went a little bit too weak. I think the dungeon should have been a little bit harder. Um, uh, but you kind of have to go weak because, like, if things you know, if things go pretty wrong pretty quick, uh, you can you can end up in that back half of the you know you can end up in the back half of that dungeon and just get absolutely destroyed by these these incorporeal addiction ghosts, right? Right, right. Um, right. Or you know, uh, you know, Alaric blows both of his big AOE spells, and now you guys have six, you know, advanced ghouls chewing on uh chewing on you and, and giving you diseases and paralyzing you know just like uh, you know, that that becomes uh, uh that becomes a big danger in fact it's actually kind of miraculous that you guys basically hit everything except for one instance that i can think of you avoided as much bullshit as possible what was oh what was the bullshit we didn't avoid the the, the sword uh, no, the bullshit that you didn't avoid uh, was the Savager fight. And oh, that okay, bullshit yeah. was just uh, – it was it was whether or not you wanted to fight her now, right, or kind of, quote-unquote, uh, pay the price of the mystery of what letting her go entails, right? Um, you could – you know, if you wanted to, you could have opted out of that fight, not gotten any more sacks of boiling blood, not had to deal with, you know – uh, any of this other kind of stuff just by letting the two by accepting the surrender letting the two of them leave right and then that and then th but that holds the the kind of possibility space of well what if this comes back to bite us kind of thing um so yeah 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 no I, absolutely and, uh, and uh i think that i think there were some interesting choices there in fact I, it was uh I was actually kind of surprised that everybody kind of really fell in line to like murder the shit out of her. I guess I guess the only objection probably would have come from me and Alaric. We were both like, "Yeah, it doesn't seem like a great idea." Um, yeah, I mean, you know, it was. Uh, I tried to make the the choice as competitive as possible, but it, because it's about so, I think it comes down to kind of like the pragmatism of players, right? Uh, the I because I do think that the kind of fundamentally pragmatic choice especially when you're in your situation where you know you guys had really only fought in one encounter because you bypassed the room with the bugs in it um you you right. hadn't lost all that you know like 
it's not like you were low on on resources or anything like that um and um and the other thing is you had already seen the savager and had taken proper precautions to it right um but uh in a world where you don't know what the savager does you know in a world where the thing goes wrong in uh and you don't see the Savager fight beforehand, and you don't know what the Savager demon does, and then you're, you're fighting it for the first time, at the same time you're dealing with this cleric who's dispelling all of your shit, um, I think that fight is way more lethal uh, than co kind of compared to what it was. Yeah, no, I, absolutely. No, yeah, that's a really good point, actually, that, like... And not only that, but I guess from kind of like the the, the RP perspective, right? Like, I I think the, I think the hardest thing to do with it with, with kind of making it a competitive choice, making walking away a competitive choice, is that um, it's hard to basically trust chaotic entities, right? Like, yeah, I, I feel like that's that, that's it's a really hard thing to do when you whenever you want to do one of this, especially something that's kind of unambiguously evil, right? Like, I'm um, gonna speak from my own experience. We have uh, we had a um a fight in Wrath of the Righteous where one of the things we were fighting was like a, a, a barbarian, right? Um, and so the party, um, so the, the, the inquisitor of, in the party kind of like shouts her into like surrendering. And then she's like, look, I, I'm working for these demons because it's convenient and I'm a mercenary, but I'll just leave if you know, like, like mm -hmm. that's a much more easy thing to, 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 to kind of buy as a player, I think than a, you know, Oh well, I know I've lost, and I'm going to go be evil out in the forest if you let me go. It's like, uh, you know, that may have been me not selling it. I mean, the this, and I, to be honest, I kind of fucked up a little bit by kind of front loading the fact that she doesn't have. So, the the game plan in my mind was to kind of establish her ranking in the hierarchy. Right. As being like a, a middle manager, but a decision maker. Right. So like you can't leverage her to stop the war herds. Right. That's not something that she has the power to do, but it is absolutely in her power to leave Kintargo forever, if that makes sense. Um, uh, and and it's also a benefit to you if she just goes and she says, hey, you know, we used Kintargo to make the Savager Demon. Now we're going to take it and we're going to go throw it at a, a Chelish city, right? Like, you know, that, that's, a, that's a, a net useful thing um, when, it comes to, uh, when it comes to the kind of logistics of the rebellion. But because I kind of led that in the wrong way, I think it gave the impression that she wasn't, she wasn't important enough to make any kind of decisions at all, if that makes sense. And so it was kind of like, well, you know, if she's, if she's that useless, we might as well just murder her. Um, I think I think part of it might have been a little bit of that, but I think a bigger part of it is like when you've got a villain who's like motivated by evil for evil's sake, it's hard to believe. Like you know, this is D and D, right? Like there's nothing that says that there's nothing that she did that would have like guaranteed that she actually would have walked out of Kintargo and Ravenel, right? Like she could be like, yeah, I'll leave Kintargo, and then the Savage Demon could have shown up next week, and we would have been like, well, we were idiots, right? Like it, it's it's. It's easy to believe that, like, a mercenary is willing to walk away from it. It's harder to believe that, like, an ideologically motivated evil person is willing to walk away from something, if that makes sense. Yeah. I mean, so, yeah, the, to me, this is, this is a part of why the, this kind of thing is really, like, hard to thread the needle. Because, to me, that possibility has to remain 
in it in a certain sense but like it's kind of about playing up the benefit on the other side right, right, right. like That's what happens you know like what happens if uh you know like what happens if she does stick to her word and she goes and takes this to pezak and a part of that i think is that consequences weren't very well spelled out right like what does the you know in terms of material benefits what does the the savager demon going to pezak actually net in in a gain for Kintargo in, in tangible goods, right? Like th th that's that is a much more nebulous thing, and so it's a little bit harder to grasp onto. If she had said something like, "Listen, if you let me go, I can guarantee that one of those war herds is going to go south to Chiliax, right? That's a big deal. Yeah, and I bet no, I could have sold people. I bet I could have sold people on that. So you know, I you know. It was it was built to kind of go. Uh, it really was kind of built to go either way. Uh, I never want you know. It's one of those things where I never want players to look at that situation and say she is going to betray us. Don't listen to her ever because I don't think that 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 to me is actually you know removing the choice. If like if every if every kind of questionable decision you make comes back to bite you, it just removes the decisions as questionable they're no longer questionable you just can't afford to take them so the possibility that she follows through has to be there um yeah I, I in order in order to in order to make it an, a, an actual choice right because otherwise if i if i if i were to say now if i were to kind of reveal schrodinger's box right and see whether the cat is alive or dead right it would inform you as to how i look at these situations right but the point is is that the situation could have gone either way yeah right. and you no. chose one instead of the other right i i think this is also kind of like it's kind of like a uh kind of how, how the party is built character like uh from an rp perspective right like like i feel like with a a more noble party it would have also have been easier to appeal to kind of like the you know the the, the you know the, the batman kind of like i think i, I, I feel think like hunter, it's easier to... if, yeah i mean we've used hunter in this context before or hunter rather has argued this kind of context before and i i 100 agree with you right the version of the version of hunter that sits in this and says no not because right like not just because you're evil, but the thing that you're offering to us where you go do evil to our enemies is still evil, right? And I want to minimize that effect even if it's technically, you know, uh, a relative gain for my enemies, if that makes sense. Um, so there's that aspect of it too. Yeah, I, I think, like, there's, there's always this kind of, like, this is like, you know, Every time you watch a movie and you say, why didn't you just shoot him? He was right there. He was eating the barrel of your gun. If you shot him, you would not have any more problems, protagonist. Right? Like, mm -hmm. that's, I feel like, kind of what these situations kind of tend to be. Right? Like, it's like, you know, you've got you've got the, 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 the antagonist looking down the barrel of your gun. And I think players are more likely to be like, okay, and pull the trigger than, like, a, say, say a character in a movie would be. Yeah. And I think a bit of that, I mean, you know, the other half of this, by the way, is kind of, um, uh, you know, establishing, uh, to a certain extent, she has to make this offer to you guys, just from the standpoint of the, the, there is more intelligence behind the Coven of Lilith and the Beastmen than just raving chaotic evil lunacy, if that right, makes sense. Right, right, yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Um, 
and so you know because i i you know i don't want the only people you know dealing with devils is easy right but dealing with chaotic evil cultists who you know have have whatever agenda they have and are utilizing extremely brutal tactics to realize that agenda uh is is like another aspect of choices right and so you know from the you know from the perspective of the coven of lilith isn't going away this is a problem you're going to have to deal with in later aspects of the book right i need to set up the coven of lilith as a you know as a bad guy organization that can be reasoned with rather than just brute forced down um i kind you know th th throwing this one in there uh was was important in setting in setting that up uh mostly honestly because i kind of feel like um I, you know, I, I've talked about this on the podcast before. I hate, I just hate it when, oh man, I hate it when like villains don't have good motivations. Um, and I hate it when there, it is the, the, the only option for the players coming down to it is just to murder them. Right. I think that that, you know, um you know facing down hitler and punching him the in the face is satisfying to a certain extent but for this kind of political intrigue you know game where you know it is very much about the kinds of choices and the kinds of ethics that you want the rebellion to take and to move forward with having stuff like this for basically everyone even the chaotic evil you know demon worshipers of lamash 2 is important yeah that makes sense all right, like it, you know, it doesn't really bug me, for instance, that in Rune Lords we just like murder the fuck out of these golems or whatever, or good yeah. giants rather, right? Um, but I don't think that kind of thing flies in Hell's Rebels. To be honest, that kind of thing probably doesn't fly in any of my games because I think a lot of I don't know that I have a game that doesn't look like this one in me. That's fair. Do you want to try and tie this back to some general dungeon design? Yes, I do. I want to talk a little bit about uh, incorporating the dungeon. So here, so okay. One of the reasons I wanted to have this podcast is because I like the idea and I really want to advocate for the idea that we are currently have going in Hell's Rebels. Um, I think using a double a double long session and a big dungeon to capstone essentially every book is awesome and really something that every GM should pick up uh, and kind of put on their table to kind of have these these milestone moments. Um because um, I think that they under they undermine the temptation and the tendency for games to kind of become rote, like or, or like sloggy almost. Because when you're in the same when you're when you're acting in the same time frame and your encounters come in the same time frame, you know every week, week in and week out. Uh, I think it's easy to kind of get almost bored with that routine and that repetition and that a lot of large-scale strategic decision-making gets lost along the way. Um, and that when you spice it up and when you change things, both from a mechanics perspective and a story perspective, um, you add big moments to disrupt the kind of flow uh, and, and properly, you know, and kind of set like almost a proper structure for how stuff goes on. That's so my, that's I get my that. pro pitch. I, I get that. I don't like I, I think I think I think that these these end of book dungeons are neat, but I also think there's a danger there of like and every book is ended by a dungeon kind of can be its own sort of rote. Um 
I, I don't think that it necessarily have, needs to happen for everything. I, I, I kind of appreciate the longer sessions, but I don't think like – and then we had one at the end of each book is necessarily the, the, the right thing to do with it either. You know, it's actually funny oh. that you mentioned that because I'm pretty sure – it really actually kind of depends a little bit on how you guys want to approach what happens in book three. But in book three, I'm pretty sure there are two of these. Uh, there's one in the middle somewhere. Uh, of like a double long session and then uh, and then there's one at the very end which is a double long session and they are not exclusively dungeons i think a little bit of it uh is uh, is you know uh the d i think i would be if if all of my sessions were six hours on a weekend right from 12 to 6 every saturday right i would actually argue the opposite which is that every once in a while you should meet for a three-hour thing on wednesday nights for the same effect, right? The effect of breaking up the monotony of uh, the the kind of structure to every session um, has has very tangible benefits that I feel like I'm reaping at this moment. Okay, and I think that saying. you know that the, the, you you would have to do it almost in tang in like in tandem with how you look at uh, uh, with how you look at your books. In fact, to be honest, okay, if I'm getting really hypothetical. So book three is really long, um, and uh, book four, I'm cutting a lot out of book four. So I almost kind of think what'll happen is that I might try and schedule book four to be done in four, three or four double long sessions, like for a like a, like a month. Every you know like every you know we just kind of like make an agreement to like Saturdays for like the month of whatever uh that is a, it's a very it's a very kind of out there idea i haven't done uh, uh i have done all of the the kind of macro macro prep work for kind of books one two and three and but not really so much four five and six um and so uh that was just kind of a thought in my head but i might try and go forward with that and see how people are amenable to it obviously the big caveat here is scheduling right like scheduling these can be can be a huge pain and can get kind of rough um, but, uh, um, but yeah, but yeah, on, on the topic of dungeons, right? Like there's, I'm curious to see what you think of this. Like one of the things that is happening in Hell's Rebels is for, not Hell's Rebels, Wrath of the Righteous, is that for the past oh, several sessions, they've been doing this one huge mega dungeon. It's still going. It'll probably still be going. They just basically finished the top floor and there's a bottom floor to do as well. Mm -hmm. Um, I feel like those can be. I feel like the danger. The, the, there's some danger there, right? Like I think that that needs to be tackled within a reasonable time frame. Which for my game, it's not being tackled within a reasonable time frame. I feel like right. it's very easy to lose the plot. Kind of like yep. I, I, I hate to go back to the to the to the tournament again, but that, that that's kind of what I feel like. Is it, it, it's like it's like the tournament oh my rules. god, that is interesting. My go-to there was actually going to be Iron Gods. I felt like what happened kind of constantly in Iron Gods is we would get lost in these dungeons. Maybe the tower in Book 3 is a really good example. Um, yeah. Book 4 had a little bit. But where, you know, when we started that tower and then five sessions later when we finished the tower, it re I 100% lost why we were there. Right. And what we were looking for. And I had to be reminded constantly 
Um, and um, and I do th and I do agree with you that that is a huge danger. I actually don't like Mega Dungeons in general, right? I'll just put that out there. Um, but the the reason I don't like Mega Dungeons, I I would be down for a Mega Dungeon if we were to kill it in one session. I think dungeons are are natural one session things, right? The more that you can align your sessions with um kind of plot moments, I think, the better. Which is why I really try and begin and end every session with, like, natural beginnings and natural endings, right? Even even this dungeon, even the dungeon before that, right? We've hit both of these dungeons in two, in two pieces, but the two parts were always very well segmented. Um, in that, you know, you cleared the first floor of this dungeon, boom, here's a second floor, which radically changes things, right? Um, and I think that that's, I think that that's super solid, uh, in terms of structure, but I don't like the structure where we go through a dungeon, you know, a 15 hour dungeon, three hours at a time is just, uh, I don't know. Unless, by the way, I want to make a caveat here. I actually think that you could do this, right? If you did it in kind of like a, um. I was about to say Indiana Jones, but that's actually a very bad reference because they don't spend all that much time dungeon diving. In in a in a version of a dungeon where the story unfolds kind of before you, I think it you that works. Okay, right? yeah, as you like. Said. If you enter the dungeon and uh, in in fact, actually, I kind of think that. Book six of Iron Gods did this pretty okay because there were a lot of miniature goals along the way and, and pieces to tackle um, that moving through the dungeon was actually moving through the plot, if that makes sense. Um, because we had to take down the security stuff and then the other stuff and we have to remove, you know, we have to kill all of Unity's followers, right? Like the, the, the kind of progression of what that looks like is... Uh, uh, you know, matches story beats very well. But if if your goal in entering the dungeon is clear out the dungeon, I actually don't know that there's all that much story beat that you can save that kind of mega dungeon split over five sessions with. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree with that. Um, so kind of, kind of get down to, to a little bit of brass, brass tacks. Um, you know, obviously, Luda kind of, kind of used the, the, dungeon, the dungeon we just went through in Hell's Rebels. It's kind of like uh it's kind of like a, a format um or as, as a case study rather you know there's obviously these dungeons are composed of like a, a bunch of different things right like there's there's these rooms that are laid out and they all have like sometimes they have nothing in them but there's like a like maybe a skill check or like a, a weird puzzle like the disco room or like a, a monster encounter and and Sometimes I feel like it's very easy for that to get to get tedious. It's like, oh boy, let's you know, let's uh, let's explore every door. I think that can be good for the kind of player that that enjoys like kind of like really mechanically testing their character, but it also can can feel kind of the tie back with you said with like this kind of um, fatigue uh, with long session with, with uh, you know long running sessions. Like you know, it, why is there a fountain in the middle of the room that I have to you know jump over? Right, and while it works with, like, say, like, you know, the Temple of Elemental Evil or, like, the Tomb of Horrors, which are, like, this was a death trap built to be a death trap. Deal with the death traps. I feel like, you know, this was a thieves' hideout. Why is there a disco room in the middle of, uh, of the thing? It can, can be a little jarring for players. Yeah, uh, I, I kind of think that a little of that jarringness kicked in at the tail end of the second session. 
which was uh, which was also just like rushing for time essentially but like the kind of thing where you know we just like bullet pointed down these rooms i like breaking stuff into kind of rooms right like i do think it's a natural way to build dungeons and i think it's a natural way to move through dungeons i actually create a syllabus every time uh there's like a big dungeon like this i create a huge syllabus where um you know i have an opening description every time you walk into the room i read out that you know that bit of italics text or whatever um I describe any creatures, any traps, and and then kind of work through the skill checks, right? And the, which are built to kind of be pieces of the puzzle. And I do think that that's a natural thing. Um, I, you know, I kind of wonder a little bit. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I I don't like the. I didn't like the disco room either, to be honest. Uh, it was. It was a super gamey element. It really was a huge gamey element. And, you know, it was one of those things where it's not like, what am I going to do? Like, edit the, you know, edit the map to make yeah. all of those, you know, all of those floor tiles normal. Uh, yeah, no, so no. I just kind of left it for that reason. It also is not like, I don't know, I feel like dungeons have this problem too. It's not like, I think you can do like, have your dungeon laid out like a reasonable building okay with like, um, you know, with like, you know, you can have a castle with some like doors barred or like some crumbled walls or something, or like it's a cave system. And so it looks all wonky, but like, like, like I said, uh, using, using the, uh, the, the hideout as a, as a case study, what building is laid out like as a series of room connected in like a weird line terminating in a well, like, it just... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, so the, yeah, I mean the well, is an ele you know because the bottom yeah, yeah. part isn't supposed to be flooded the well is connected to an elevator right uh but there you know and i think the point of kind of the dungeon like the the sorry the, there's the room with the yellow fungus at the bottom right like that big well that you guys have to make a rope and kind of right right put it over and then there's and then there's the tile room right after it those two rooms to me read like because the the front half of the rooms are the is where the gambling happens and the opium den is, um, and the back half of the rooms is where like the actual operation is kind of handled. Um, but yeah, I, I totally get what you mean. I think that it is. Uh... It, it kind of felt like someone was like, okay, well we have like we have like three encounters, and we need another skill check and yep. uh, puzzle. Um, and I, you know, and I, like certain I actually like certain aspects of this, though. I did change. Uh, for instance, I changed um, the Zorn mechanics a tiny bit. The Zorn actually can walk through walls. Um, so when you guys retreated across the thing, it was just going to f move through the wall to keep attacking you. Uh, but I like the way that I like the strategy that you guys were employing. I think that that is, uh, you know, that's a kind of smart thing. Right. And especially because of the gaminess of the, of the tiles themselves. Right. The, when you walk into the tile room and you look at it and you're like, okay, here's a puzzle I need to solve. If the if failing that puzzle once triggers the fucking Zorn and then the Zorn follows you until you kill it, the puzzle is meaningless. Like you need to be able to iterate on that puzzle in order to actually have it work. Um, which is kind of why I changed that around a little bit. Or for instance, um, in, uh, uh, the, there's that, there's that place where the, the pit trap is right. Um, right in the beginning by the, by the room with the insects, uh, that pit, the way that that pit trap worked, 
I also had to change because the description basically gave it away um, in ha- in how everything in how everything worked. And so, if I didn't, the trap never would have fired, and you never would have had to deal with deal with it in the first place. You could have essentially there was a there was a thing about how like there's a light. Near, there's like a, a magical light nearby and when the trap fires like the light goes off or something like that and so if you activate the light on the side that you're on it resets the trap and as long as that like someone is pulling down that lever it's fine and you can just walk across and i was like well that's fucking lame right but actually turning that into something of a skill encounter where you guys have to you know get the rope and do the rope across and have acrobatics checks i think is is like the better way to handle that kind of trap room yeah i see that that makes sense yeah, they're also like a billion secret doors, but they all had really high, which was a weird thing, but like they all had super high saves, uh, or sorry, not saves, like perception checks, so you guys like basically never saw them. Except for the, that one. Yeah, except for that one, because you used detect secret doors there. No, actually I didn't. I used, oh. I, I, I used detect secret doors when we thought that the, the secret room was. Oh in. yeah, you're right. Yeah, you used detect secret doors and it didn't reveal anything, because that's like the one room without any fucking secret Oof. doors. <laughs> like everything else had all of these secret doors to it. Huh, interesting. Um, I assume if it's our hideout, we'll get to at least see what they do at some point. That's true. Yeah, I'm gonna have to. Yeah, you know, I haven't done. Uh, I haven't done any of that stuff because we obviously have like a billion weeks off. But um, uh, yeah, no, it's uh, hmm. One thing I will say. So this is actually a problem I have with like a lot of the new design. I think I think by being weirdly shaped, this this one actually um, avoids the problem. Is I think there's this really really weird temptation on 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 designers' parts. You have, like, essentially you have your square or your you kind of, like, defining shape mm-hmm. for your base and have every kind of bit of floor tile filled in. And so when you have, like, this dark spot on the map, you're like, huh, I wonder if I should look for secret doors around the suspicious Yeah, that, that is, yeah. I think yep. I, I think part of that's, like, a, like, you know, like, a if you were at eye level as your character, you maybe wouldn't notice it type thing. Um, and, and that would kind of solve the problem, but it's also kind of like, you know, it, it, it's, it's, it can be, it's so obvious from like a top down perspective. Um, it's, 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 it's really, I think a challenge to kind of build those things in. And on the other hand, it's also kind of like, you know, in the kind of the same vein of like, you know, like each, each D and D campaign is, is its own. It's like. Do you just let your like for things that that could be as important as loot? You just let your players not find it, right? And like yeah, I, yeah, I have a huge advantage there just because um, we're doing attunement stuff, right? And so the amount of loot you get is just so astronomically high, right? From the dungeon that I I feel not you guys actually missed well not all that much stuff but plenty of stuff. Um, and th- and because of that fact, I I don't feel bad about having high taxes essentially at the end to be like, well, it takes twenty five thousand gold to re- to you know renovate this shit, right? Um, or to be pretty draconian about how the marketplace works um, by saying, you know, if you ever want to buy something specific, you have to buy it at a markup, right? If you ever want to sell loot that you're given, you have to sell it at a markdown. Um, that kind of thing. Yeah, but if you engage a little bit too much in that in a conventional loot system, uh, you can actually really end up undervaluing players. I think because you know, 
Yeah, uh, th- so much of player power is tied into into loot in Pathfinder. I I honestly just look at that system as like just from a design perspective. I just look at that system and I'm just like, you can't, you can't have it's too wild and 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 erratic, and you have no control over your players, uh, over your players' power levels if you just do it raw. Like you have to fuck with that. And to me, the only solution really is to just run with attunement. Yeah, I, I think that's I think that is a very strong way to um to deal with. It. I, I I do like attunement quite a bit. Um, do you think you would run attunement in your own games? Um, yes. Um, I, I I've got a couple different things like like there, there's this is just kind of like on a, on a short tangent. There's this system that I played in college called Legendary, where you get like. Your class is three tracks, and then you also have a loot track. Um, but one of the one of the potential mechanics is you replace the loot track with like a different ability track, um, like from a different class or from there's there's some standalone tracks, and that you know you can normally swap out one of your normal three tracks for for that. But I, I think that would be a really cool kind of like way you know like you know y- you need that power increase somewhere. But like I, I do like attunement for that for kind of like shaving off a lot of kind of like the you know the the, the big seven as it were the thing i i think that a, the game would be better if it was designed sorry um if it was designed from the ground up around that like yeah like yep. like one of the things i run into in um say rune lords right like i would never buy a natural armor item because i would always be casting bark skin on myself um and that mm-hmm. doesn't you know and they don't stack together and so um that's not always great but I think that for the most part it works all right, and that if if, if you could if, if you took the time from the start to like try and figure out how to make make those kind of elements work with each other, it, it would it would be fine. Yeah, I also think that the way we handled it in Iron Gods actually, ironically, was pretty close to a good system, just because we had a wizard who took all these craft magic arms and armor stuff, uh, and when you decrease the amount of gold you need in order to craft magic arms and armor. By 50%, it actually kind of fixes all the... It is... <laughs> it's one of those things where, like, the loot system is this huge, huge problem, but there's kind But, like, if you do it that way, there's actually kind of a solution to everything. Because if you're selling it everything at 50% value, but crafting everything at a 50% value, you're actually pretty one-to-one in most cases. <laughs> um, uh, and I... And, you know... I like I and I think that ruins it a little bit, right? Like I I actually like the idea that you have to pay a big premium uh, in order to get like a best in slot kind of piece of gear. I think that that's um, yeah. I, I think that item creation feats also have have the danger of like breaking the game wide open. It's like if you can get yeah. anything, that, and that's that's what I mean, right? Like Iron Gods very much threaded that needle. I think where where our trajectory from a loot perspective was very solid. Um, and I don't think that there were too many like big hiccups or anything like that. Um, but, uh, you know, there, there, the, the, an iron gods with the same item creation feats just goes off the rail, you know, like could go off the rails so easily and just become, uh, you know, kind of like a, a power gaming mess. I actually, you know, to be honest, one of the things I like about attunement is that it really encourages buying the not so useful kind of items um and i think uh, i think items insofar as they are utilitarian are very strong 
Uh, and I liked using them that way. Uh, I think items insofar as they are, uh, you know, kind of like throughput increases, I think are weak. I, I don't know if they're weak. They're just kind of boring. But yeah. Okay, I'm sh- uh, f- fair enough, right? Yeah, that I, that's essentially what I that's okay. essentially what I what I what I mean. Um, but I like you know I like someone who takes a hat of disguise, right? I like somebody who enchants their armor with glamour. You know, I like uh, uh, even you know even the, like the skill. I have no problems with like shadow leather armor uh, or any of those other kind of skill ones. Uh, to to you know if you want to take boots of tumbling or whatever belt of tumbling like yeah go you know the aquatic cumberbund go for it right that is precisely what your gold is there to do and i think allowing players you cloak of the fucking manta ray right 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 um right. i you know so I, I i like that i like that kind of stuff in general i do think uh, interestingly enough i don't think mark's system of loot works well in the in the context of dungeons um because i think you need to have the kind of tangible loot like the tangible and variable loot rewards in order to keep moving from room to room without encounters interesting otherwise it is there is very little tangibly to be gained by clearing every single room right and feeling good about you know like okay we have finished here essentially yeah no i i agree i don't i think there's also something to be said about like not penalizing players for, like, smartly, t- like, you know. I think it's a shame when players feel like the correct solution to, like, doing the dungeon is to, is to you know, iterate over every room instead of, like, doing a smart thing because of the chance they might have left a piece of loot in a corner. Um, I, 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 I don't, I, I feel like that's, that's, uh. That can be limiting in a lot of ways. I also don't know how to solve that problem. Super oh, well. I have a great solution to that problem, and that's to put timetables on it. Aver- so here's here's the 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 like kind of the flow chart, uh, I guess, is that um, if every room contains danger, right, and you have you don't have the opportunity to rest. It gives you the ability to um, uh, it gives you the ability to kind of like force the issue in a way that's like well it's maybe it's valuable for us to skip this room so as you know we're foregoing some of this loot or whatever but we're also foregoing all of the damage and wasted spell slots and abilities per day and everything else that goes into that do you know what i mean see, i think that's see, a very i think that's a strong I, I motivator if you can make that work i see what you're saying well, i'm thinking about this from like kind of the other perspective right like it's like you know we need to retrieve this guma zigam from the depths of the dungeon right and like you know on the one hand we could go in swords blazing and kill everything um or, you know, Party Mastermind thinks of a brilliant plan to extract the Gumazigam without um, without anybody seeing, and we kind of, like, we slip in like the night we slip out. And that could be a very rewarding kind of, like, you know, tactical planning, and, you know, you, you did you did all of that right, but you penalized the, like, but, you know, but then, you know, Grognek the Barbarian says, like, but there might be an axe in there that I want. It's like, oh, well, I guess the stealth plan's off then, and we go in swords blazing. I, I, I think that's, like, a real... Yeah a real danger and like i said i don't i don't know a good solution to it yeah and i you know i have to say i really do kind of hate that in general um you know like 
it does uh, the experience. Like, experience compensates for that very well because, like, if you get through it with the stealth one, well, then you're solid, right? You know, you still get the same amount of, the, of experience because you're, quote-unquote, defeating the encounter. Uh, but items don't have a great kind of fail-safe for that. Um, I think the fail-safe that you get in certain scenarios is doling out free gear as kind of, like, a bonus, if that makes sense. Um like, oh, you did this without harming a feather on their heads, right? Like, good job. Here's a fucking, you know, belt of blue, 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 bloppers. Do you yeah. know what I mean? No, yeah, I, I, I get what you're saying. Um, it's the, 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 I don't want to say the, I, I think that the thing with some of, of all of these systems really, <coughs> excuse me, is to, um, in order to make it feel really meaningful, um, I think you need to, uh, like, I think you need kind of, like, to show the player, like, what could have been. I think it's hard, right? Like, the value of the secret doors that you see is, is kind of like, you know, I think the way you encourage a player to, like, be thorough and, like, look for secret doors is by somehow showing them that they miss some, right? Um, and I don't know how you do that right, um. Similarly, like, the way you encourage players to not be like, well, we should go in with our swords because we might find a nice sword is to, like, I don't know. I, this is also kind of a Captain Crunch versus Steeter Kid problem, right? Like, uh, I, I feel like, you know, I don't think there's anything wrong with wanting to play the, the loot game, but, mm -hmm. like, be, <coughs> being able to point to your players and say, they're, like, in, in, in an appropriate way, be like, there is an advantage to doing this the smart way. Um, I don't know how, like, like I, I feel like you kind of want to front load that, right? Like, you know, let's say it's like, you know, you need to pull, you need to get, you need to get the crest from the opposing royal house. And the guy says, you know, you could murder them all, but if you get it without, you know, with, with without causing a stir, I'll give you a greater reward. I think that's a good way to kind of motivate that. But it's that's also kind of harder to do for like a general dungeon situation. Yeah, and it also sucks because when players fail at that, all of a sudden they're failing at it. And they can sour the whole dungeon because it's like, well, you know, you got the loot, but you didn't hit the bonus objective. Yeah. Right? Like, you know, that that does that that does suck. That is a sucky thing. Um, so, uh, you know, I don't know. I think that there are just a lot. Uh, uh, I think that there are just a lot of pitfalls when it comes into this kind of thing. And to be honest, I almost kind of think that the only option is to, uh, you know, um, avoid it, if that makes sense, uh, by not dealing by not dealing with dungeons uh, when you don't have to, which is weird. Right, but th th like all, all we've kind of said today has made me advocate, I suppose, for uh, not you know like including dungeons more sparingly than than the kind of status quo would have you. Uh, but buddy, how can we have a game of Dungeons and Dragons without half of that sentence? Yeah, I know. I mean, and you know, dragons are rare a, enough on their own. Technically, it's a phrase. Um, the. Uh, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> that was 
satisfying in Can a scum breathe underwater? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that was anyway. Yes, I I totally see uh, I totally see how this kind of thing uh, uh, runs into some uh, runs into some pitfalls, uh, and there are so many ways to do that. I you know I don't know. I like dungeons. Uh, I like dungeons. And when they when they can be like this one, I think this dungeon was strong because it 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 incorporated story so well. I think when dungeons are simple, that's when they get boring too, right? Um, you know, I like there's there's a tangible benefit, right? I wouldn't be including all of this stuff with kind of the gray spiders or whatever, um, if there wasn't a tangible benefit to learning that stuff, right? And, you know, like, there are, you know, the, the, I I don't want to spell it out, but I also do want to spell it out because it's like, listen, oh, there's three guild masters. You find two of them. One of them isn't here. Their portrait is ripped out, right? There's all of these contracts to, uh, to buildings and fire, right? Like, this paints a very clear picture. And if you're picking yeah. up on that kind of thing, that's a rewarding thing, I think. Um, in the same way that it's like, you know being able to put together kind of the scum's operation uh, and how they moved into and, and kind of understanding like the function, I, I suppose that that stuff is strong. But when it is just, you know, well, let's get to the bottom of this place, pick up some MacGuffin and walk right back out. Yeah. Uh, that's when it gets, uh, that's when, that's when dungeons get bad, I guess. That's when dungeons go bad. But to be honest, I think that's kind of true of every, of everything, right? You know, it, it is also true. I, I think when you're, uh, you know, if you're doing a, a travel campaign and all you're doing is exploring new hexes on a grid uh, and fighting, you know, like and kind of fighting the random encounters in there without progressing any kind of like like bigger overarching story. So really, my answer is inject more story. Your dungeons will be good. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I guess it, it, it kind of, of flip this on the on the other side, right? Like. I don't think there's anything bad with the good old-fashioned dungeon romp either, if, if that's what your party wants to do, right? Like, there's nothing that says you have to have, like, clever options to everything. You could have a dungeon where everybody just goes and is like, oh, boy, it's time to whack everything to death with their pointy sticks, find yeah. the loot, come out, hold it over our heads, and be like, we did a thing. Like, I think that that's, that is that is also fine. Um, it just... Tr know where those belong, right? Like, you... Like... I don't think we wanted this to, be, like, no. This, this one, actually, this is a good, good example, I think. This dungeon can be a whack everything with your sticks dungeon because we need to clear it out because we're going to use it, right? Mm -hmm. Like, you know, you don't want the go go deal with the, the nobles across town to be, like, a, a generally kind of, like, clear it out with your sticks and whack it. If, if You know, you don't want that to be the only option for, for, for that type of dungeon, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe this is just you know I, I I always tell myself that I think I could get into what's the Paizo one like the emerald uh, oh fuck I'm um, not sure I, I'm not a it's like it's just like a, it is a it is a twenty level dungeon with no story whatsoever you just progress room to room to room to room to room basically you know I mean you know tomb of horrors right whatever right. it is right like I like to think that I could just kind of get in that for like the romp of the mechanics but I don't actually know that that's the case I feel like I could kind of get bored and disengaged just because there's nothing uh like from a story perspective to um I guess uh key into if you know what I mean yeah yeah 
anyway, you know, we, we've we've got a little bit. We have we haven't talked a lot about like, um, kind of like individual stuff. Is there any? Is there any like you know you have like, this is gonna sound very mathy, but do you have any recommendation for like kind of like, like the the amount of encounters you wanna you wanna have and like the ratio of like creatures to traps and whatnot and like the pitfalls there. Do you, you have any any suggestions for that? Man, from a math perspective, I wonder how many. Well, you know, I can actually kind of count it up because uh, I actually opened up uh, while we were talking the. Uh... Well, yeah, I'm not gonna sit here and count. Um, I think there were probably upwards of ten encounters, but I think also having encounters be skippable is a good thing. I like the idea that <laughs> you know, I like the idea that you guys hear stuff coming from the opium den and just decide to leave those doors closed. Uh, the Opium Den, by the way, was one of the is one of the best versions of uh, kind of punishing players for doing the like iterate over every door thing, um, because uh, there was no benefit to be had there, just pain. <laughs> like there was nothing but expending rage rounds, right, and and spell slots and and hit points and and all of that kind of stuff. I will say that I think encounters need to um, dovetail a bit. I think you actually need to hit, and you you obviously will recognize this from the last uh, from the last dungeon. Um, you need to hit really hard in your first encounter. I think because I think you have to kind of bloody the PCs' noses in order to make them, um, in order to get them into that kind of like danger attrition place. the The longer it takes them to take a meaningful amount of damage and expend a meaningful amount of resources. Um, the longer you will have to wait to get into that uh, that period where they are be where you know like they're being careful and they're being smart and they're taking every you know like they're taking every fight every encounter very seriously. I think um, I think if you just kind of let players breeze through the dungeon because you want to start things off light and then ramp up the difficulty later. All you're doing is just kind of delaying that, uh, that like satisfaction you get, um, or the satisfaction that like players get from like, like dealing with these long-term kind of scenarios. Yeah. I, I, I think too, like with, with things that are like not commenting kind of things that are like skill checks, you need, you need to also make them kind of dynamic, right? Like I think that like, you know, Climb over this pit is fine once. Climb over this pit. Or like, you know, this is a big pit. You have to roll four acrobatics checks. I feel like that's incredibly boring and incredibly... It feels unfair when, like, you roll the one five that caused mm. you to fail it or whatever, right? Mm. Like, I don't think that's fun. I think you need... I, I think kind of having... I think that, that, like, skill challenges like that need to be either varied enough that they feel interesting they feel kind of like their own encounter or they need to be like one roll and done um or you know one like you know you have to make one roll to succeed and if you fail you might have some consequence you might have to re-roll it but um i don't think skill challenges that are just like multiple rolls of like the same thing are are satisfying or good um how do you feel about that uh i you know Maybe this is just me defending my own pit trap encounter like that. <laughs> um, I think that when it becomes rote, that's a problem. But you, but when you combine a couple of different things, it's fine. Um, for instance, uh, 
I think the the reason the pit trap as written didn't work is uh, is because you pass your perception check and immediately figure out the encounter, which kind of boils down to the encounter to one roll. Um, but that pit trap is hard to see. So you get your perception check to see that it's there. And even if you do see that it's, that it's there, there is no on-off button associated with it, right? Um so you have to you have to think through the problem, and that kind of it makes it a step by step process, right? You know, it's perception check. Do you see that the trap's there? Yes, no, right? Reflex save when you trigger the trap, right? Um, kind of yes, no thing, right? Okay, how are we going to get everybody over when the, now all four of these things are slanted? Is everybody going to be making acrobatics checks? Are we going to try and sling a rope to make those acrobatics checks much easier, right? All of that kind of stuff, I think, goes into making that whole encounter uh, dynamic. Um, yeah, that's what I was going to say. I, I think that kind of falls in line with my philosophy, right? Like, that, that that's like a dynamic encounter where you need to do a couple, either do a couple different things. But when you get to the point where it's like, okay, we figured out a solution, it's not like, you know... When we're crossing the, the, this makeshift bridge that we've set, that we set up, it's like okay, now you need to roll four acrobatics checks to climb across the bridges and not fall into the lava type of deal. Yeah, um, I'm actually really sad nobody dropped into the blood boiling blood pit because that would have been fucking awesome. Because, and I think I actually ended up saying this, but it wasn't clear at first. There's all of these. Um, <laughs> Excuse me. There's all of these like like knives and things like embedded in the wall. So the idea is that on the way down, it cuts you up a bunch. So you take oh. a bunch of slashing damage, and then you essentially are just like getting saveless stacks. Um, well, you actually do get saves, but you get stacks. The, the four the, when you do fortitude saves against boiling blood, typically it's you get two on a uh, on a on a fail, one on a success. So like then it kind of becomes a race against time. How does how do we get this person out before they hit? six stacks and go unconscious or seven stacks and get the savophage right um that kind of thing though everybody had delayed poison so it kind of didn't even matter fucking delay poison <laughs> yeah i mean you know so sometimes that's gonna happen sometimes you know i have to say i am toying with the idea of of lowering the duration of delay poison to be more punchy on a uh, on a minutes instead of hours by level um you know i, I don't know i don't i don't think that that's like I think that the Waywatcher being able to deal with the the, the the Beastman poison, I think that's fine, right? Like, I think if we don't have that person in our party, I don't think that's... Like, I think that we have to deal with it, but I think we have that we have somebody who can deal with it by nature of who he is. I think that, I think that that's kind of fine and thematic. So, uh, I still think he does that. Um, he just does it a little bit less universally effectively. Um, if that makes sense, I didn't really think about, I didn't really think about boiling blood in the context of delayed poison when I designed it. Right. Um, and so to me, the answers to delay or sorry, the answers to boiling blood are things like, you know, this is why, this is why, um, this is why way watchers all use reach weapons and bows, right? Because when they're using whatever it is like glaives or whatever, um, they're not in that five foot radius in order to be taking all of this spray damage. Um, and I like that better than all Way Watchers just carry potions of delay poison on them, right? Or before big battles, you know, the way the high-level Way Watcher druids cast, you know, delay poison communal on everyone. You know what I mean? Like, so I don't know. 
but it's it's my you know it's just it's just a thought of mine i think the idea of it being minutes per level and you can solve the poison problem in the moment but you can't solve it for long durations you you can't go through the entire dungeon without worrying about poison right but you can you can move uh you can you know cast it so that in the middle of the fight okay we're not taking all of this extra poison damage and we don't have to worry about like that makes sense uh but then after the fight now you have to deal with the problem i think is it you see what i'm saying I, I see what you're saying, but I, I, I can't say I agree. I think that, like, you know, that's that that's kind of our party's way of dealing with it, right? Like, another party might spam Cure Light Wound spells to get the stacks off, right? But we don't have somebody that do, that can do that. Instead, we have our Ranger burn one of his higher-level spell slots to kind of make it not an issue for now. And I think that that's kind of, like, a, a really fair trade-off for, um, for, for kind of, like, the, the power that you give up for it. And and like you know the the our, our lack of otherwise uh, other ways to solve this problem right like I think if we had a party with like a dedicated cleric you know Weirin doesn't take delay poison and we just let let the cleric spam cure light wounds on us until we don't have any more stacks type of deal. So the other thing I think about that. Um... Is that in, outside of the context of this dungeon where hours actually matter, most encounters, if you cast something hours by level, right, it's never going to it's never going to matter in one of our three hour Wednesday sessions. And so it's effectively a permanent solution, right, to to the uh, to the problem of boiling blood when it comes to beastmen at the cost of one third level spell slot. I don't know. I don't know how I feel about it. Uh, my, my instinct is just not to nerf it, but I do think that, the, the, you know, I am partial to my own positive argument for nerfing. Mm. Oh. Anyway, we've talked about this stuff a lot. Yeah. How was your week in video games? Uh, what did I do this week in video games? Um, I played a bunch of Everwing on Facebook because... I'm I'm a loser and I don't have a life and it's very easy to play browser based. I do I shooters. do enjoy these. I love actually. I secretly fucking love bullet hell games. Oh really? Uh, I have you ever played Area Flat Three? No. That was the that was like the flash game version of this that I used to play all the fucking time when I was a kid. It was on like you know Java Arcade or whatever the website was. Right. Right. Yeah, I, I play I play a, a lot of Enter the Gungeon, which is essentially a bullet hell shooter, roguelike. Um, but um, that game is dumb. It's a very dumb game, but it's fun and it's in short, and I don't have to think too hard about it. Um, it's also one that's kind of got pro. Mo most of the Facebook games don't have a lot of progress to it. Mm -hmm. Um, this one does though. Um, I played some. Pinball FX2. Yesterday I played the the uh, the Empire Strikes Back table. Oh, that shit. game's all right. It feels like a pinball table. Fair uh, enough. Um, which, as as funny as this is gonna sound, isn't exactly actually what I I'm looking for. I want like like uh, I don't know how much pinball you've played, but pinball kind of has this like. I think it's like a slight delay between like when you push the button and when the flipper goes up, um, it, it, it feels a little bit different. Um, I prefer pinball games where that's not there and it's very reactive. Um, and so this one is feels very realistic, but it's not my preferred way to do things. But, you know, that's 
that's that's just me. They're very cool tables, though, right? One thing that I think that Pinball, um, that Pinball FX2 does very well, um, is that it uh, is is that like it doesn't tie itself to reality, right? Like the Star Wars table, you you hit the right things, and the stormtrooper will show up and start shooting things. Or, like, <laughs> some comets will appear, and the TIE Fighter and C-3PO will tell you about the odds of successfully navigating an asteroid field. And I think that's really cool. I think that's that's a cool thing that you can do with a computer-based version of Pinball. Um, and so Fair I, enough. I think that's pretty cool. Well, I actually, you know, uh, I, I have to say, I do enjoy Pinball a lot. Um I used to. Did you ever play like the Windows pinball that was included in like? Oh Windows yeah, yeah. The, the, the space I played astronaut one. so much of that space astronaut game. God, that game was so fun. Um, you know, because you're always looking for like the multipliers, right? Like times three, times four, kind of thing. Uh, that game was pretty great. I do like these Facebook games a lot. I've played a lot of them at this point. Uh, I kind of got into the habit of just trying a new one every once in a while, like when I, you know, uh, like on my lunch at work or whatever kind of thing. Um, but, um, uh, I have to say Everwing is probably my favorite. I like Everwing. I like Hexer, um, or Hex Fever, I think is actually what it's called. Um, I like some of the classic games I like. I've played a bunch of Galaga. Um, you know, I played a bunch of, uh, uh, played a little bit of Pac-Man. I guess I didn't play like a ton of, uh, a ton of Galaga. I played some of those match three. Uh, I don't know. I think the competitive aspect is part of what makes it so sweet. Um, is about like, you know, can I beat someone else's high score? Like I see that I have been overtaken. I had the top score in Everwing for a while, but I am now overtaken by I think both you and Alexio. Yeah, Alexio leapfrogged both of us to thirteen ninety. My bet is that he got the double coin. It doesn't count for your points. Oh wow, jeez, man, what way to go? Yeah. So what, what, when you get when you get the coins afterwards, it applies the 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 coins as a bonus. It doesn't count for your score. Gotcha. Uh, That's actually interesting. Yep. Yeah, I feel myself getting better at the game. It's one of the things that I yeah, like yeah. about it. Uh, is uh, you know I like I spent so long doing the the boss with the ads, like the fire and like the wind uh, ads and like the water ads. I didn't see if she had any other ones, right? Where I would get to that boss and then die, and then get to that boss and yeah. then die, and so finally cracking that boss felt very very good. No, I I, I agree. Um, I don't think it's a masterwork of game design, but it's, it's, it's fun for what it is. Yeah, it's, it's definitely fun. You know, I, I, I view these games a little bit like mobile games. Um, so, yeah. you know, my, my, my threshold for good is definitely depressed. Um, Fair but, enough. Uh, but, um, yeah. Oh, I also played a little bit of Heroes of the Storm yesterday. Really? Um, yeah. Only versus AI so far. Um, I've been playing Epic Torrent Chieftain, um, just because I like the ability set that I, that he had. Um, I'm thinking about playing a little bit more of it, mostly for like the the Nexus challenge I've got until I think January to uh, play fifty play thirty games with friends. I what is know. it? Uh, what do you get if you play thirty games with friends? Fifteen games gets you a Genji skin um, in Overwatch okay. and uh, Zarya in Heroes of the Storm. And then 30 games gets you, like, five more heroes in Heroes of the Storm. Huh. Um, so uh, I uh, could definitely see myself joining you on that. That might be a good game to, to kind of, like, come back and talk about a little bit. 
Uh, I've played a tiny bit of Heroes of the Storm, but it was really one of those things where, like, you get thrown into the deep end of a multiplayer and just drown. Yeah, 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 no, absolutely. <laughs> like, I, um, I'm playing so. I'm playing some AI games right now. Apparently, the way to cheese this is you just do your 15 matches versus AI and you stomp real hard. But I'm actually kind of interested in playing the game for real, just to see what it's like. I've been doing AI because I have a quest for it in, you know, classic Blizzard fashion. Um, but uh, I, I'd like to really kind of dig into that game a little bit more and, and see how it stacks up. Cause um, kind of like maybe like a month or so ago, I was like, I could do for some, like, I don't, I didn't, I just wasn't, didn't want to go back to league. And I was like, I could go do either. I felt like I wanted to either do either heroes of the storm or Dota two, which I know is kind of like very opposite from each other. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, then I saw this next year's challenge and it was like, eh, might as well check it out. And I finally got around to, to actually checking it out last night. Although, like, like I said, versus the AI, I can definitely feel that, like, when I hit, like, real multiplayer, it's just going to be like, what the fuck am I doing? Like, how does yeah, this game yeah, work? Yeah, I feel that. Um, even, even though the AIs in that game aren't, like, pants on head, like the AIs in, uh, in, uh, in, in, in LOL the... are, um, they are still not the, 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 the brightest and bravest of them all, if that makes sense. Gotcha. Um, Oh, so there's, yeah, there's the whole... you know, I I have been thinking about Here's the Storm a little bit. Ever since they added Varian Rin, I've been uh, a little bit onto it. I also want to do uh, StarCraft, but I specifically want to do StarCraft with someone who will play the co-op with me because I'm very interested in this co-op campaign and, like, these co-op challenges. not really a campaign kind of thing um, because uh, it is so cool in theory, but I just, like, none of, no one I know, uh, like, plays StarCraft 2. I feel like no one I know played StarCraft 2 like that, I guess. Uh, I do know some people who, like, play the multiplayer, like, super hardcore. Yeah. Um, I mean. Like, the other day, you know, like, the other day I was playing, uh, or it was just, like, Saturday night. Nobody was around in Nojinbu from uh, Art Guild. Shout out, Noj. Um, he was like, hey, does anybody want to play anything? You know, like, any, like, Battle.net games? And I, like, jumped on that. I was like, all caps. I was like, oh, my God, do you have StarCraft 2? Please play co-op with me, right? And he was like, eee. It's the one I don't got, kind of thing. Yeah, we should, we should. So I don't know why, but like, uh, like the media I've been consuming, people have been playing Vermintide recently. I um, yeah, I have been hearing all about it. I don't know why, but it has been exactly the same thing. It just seems like everyone's talking about it all of a sudden. Um, maybe every I I heard that the the forty k game, the forty k kind of version of this game wasn't very good. So maybe it was like oh Space Hulk. Yeah, I heard Space Hulk yeah. wasn't very good. So maybe people were just like ah. Let's that sucks. I, I, I liked he everything I kind of like saw and read, which by the way was very little. Don't hold me to this opinion, right? I was like, oh, this looks neat, you know, kind of thing with yeah. Space Hulk. I could definitely could have seen myself get it. Yeah, I, I mean, we bought Vermintide a long time ago, but I have literally never logged a, an hour on it. We should uh, we should set up some uh, we should set up some time to do that. Both uh, Sarian, shout out Sarian in the guild, and um, uh, Nojinbu uh, said uh, that they would be. That they would be down to play Vermintide. Uh, it's almost. With, it's been uh, almost a full year. The last time I played Vermintide was the the eleventh of this uh, the eleventh of January. Wow. Jeez. Yeah. Um. I got the uh, uh, I got the uh, the DLC for the Wood Elves in. Um, Ooh. Uh, Warhammer. In Warhammer, because it came out this Total week, Warhammer. but I thought it came out next next week. So I actually, I actually haven't played Total War Warhammer with my favorite 
the Wood Elves. I actually kind of expect that I'm probably not going to like them very much because in the... Um, so in the fa so I used to play wood elves in the fantasy, but in the fantasy wood elves are fun to play because like the, the kind of hit and run, run and gun, plinky plonky shoot 'em uh, gameplay is a lot of fun. But I don't think that that's going to translate very well to uh, Total War Warhammer. They have done something awesome, just awesome, with uh, with it. Where uh, uh, the elves can shoot as they move, and it's like a, like a whole racial passive, right? Um, which I think is a great way to kind of handle the clunkiness, because typically with ranged units, when you put them in skirmish mode and they're getting chased down by melee, it's just it's just a death knell, right? Like they're gonna run out of they're they're not built to move that much. Right, right, right. They're gonna get chased down. They're gonna get engaged in melee and they're gonna die. But I think if wood elves can be kitey and flighty, um, that they will definitely fill that uh, that nice uh, niche. Uh, for me, and I'm I'm really excited. Durthu, the tree, the you know the tree king or whatever. Orion. They don't actually have. Uh, there was a Waywatcher lord at the time, which was they, this is where the term Waywatchers come from. Is actually the Wood Elves, like the super super secret snipery kind of Wood Elf archers. Um, uh, the Waywatcher lord uh, was my was my go to lord, but yeah. Hmm. Uh there's uh, there's always the old. Wow, watering hole. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Did you do anything new in World of Warcraft? Did you do anything new? No. Not um, at all, actually. I have been leveling my alt, Korthon, the rogue. Um, and I, you know, so uh, Korthon, I have two, I have two alts. I have Crane, who's a torn paladin, and I have Korthon, who's an undead rogue. Um... What I've done with these guys, and I may have talked about this on the podcast, but I want to officially endorse this because I think it's such a great idea. Um, what I do with Korthon and with Crane is I move through zones, like, level by level, and then as I hit, like, level 29 or, like, level 34 or whatever, right, like a, like a break point that would send me off to the other zone, I go to the experience eliminator in Orgrimmar and I cut my experience off and then I go back and I finish out the zone. This is because I'm working on the lore master achievement where you do all the zones or all the, like, uh, you, a bunch of quests, essentially, in all the zones. Um, but it's also just a great way to very slowly you know like just absorb wow lore you get to the end of these storylines instead of letting those storylines kind of like taper off in really like weird odd ways up another rule i have for myself because i'm obviously not uh not using experience is uh i have no heirlooms on either of these guys even heirlooms that don't grant experience like uh like their daggers or whatever uh so that quest quest rewards are very fulfilling um you know they can all. You know they are they are very commonly upgrades uh, stuff like that. Um, and I very I very very much recommend this to people. I think it is a great way to experience the game of Warcraft. I hope that they do what we have suggested uh, on the podcast, which is they back uh, kind of retrofit. All of the uh, all of the other zones that have come with to be kind of like the here's your big leveling block, right? You know, choose any one of these zones, and you can just do it to completion um, in order to do this kind of stuff. Uh, but unfortunately, I also kind of feel as though, even with me not using heirlooms, right? Heirlooms are about blue level for their, you know, like blue level items in terms of like item levels for their level. 
even without me using heirlooms, I am still just like one shotting every mob. You know what I mean? Uh, which is which is pretty unfulfilling. Um, overall, I wish there was like more of a uh, kind of like more of a give and take there. Yeah, I don't. That sounds like I don't know. I I, I don't do that. Um, so <laughs> like I, I just installed Cons Legion to potentially power level my my uh, my disc priest from one hundred to one ten. That, that's Sorry, like, what uh, what is Cons Legion? It is an add-on that optimizes your leveling experience. Um, and, and essentially, the, the pitch for this is like, if you've done it once and you just kind of want to get your alts to 110, this provides you an optimal path to do that as quickly as possible. Right? Huh, like, okay. I've already absorbed the full story on Billamong. I don't mm -hmm. really want to do it again on Steve Arino. So, might as well just do it as fast as possible. Man, I wonder what the... Huh. I, you know, I have to say, I wonder what the uh, um, uh, wonder what the optimal path for leveling all the way through Legion actually would um, be. So it, I typically go, uh, I go like I, I essentially do High Mountain to Valshara to a little bit of Stormheim, uh, and then I call it a day, and then I'm on ten. Yeah, I don't, I don't think it tells you an uh, like a zone to start in, but it, it'll once you're in a zone, it'll be like go here, go here, go here, skip this, do this, do this. It'll, tell, it'll point you, and it has... Even, oh, interesting. It even has, like, a handy little arrow that points you where you need to go. Um, it's crazy. Uh, but uh, it's 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 great if you want to just get from one, 100 to 110. Um, you know, I have to say, um, I... Uh, that is an interesting thing, because, you know, so... Um, the way that they that they designed, uh, that they designed the, the, the zones, they actually talked about it, um, uh where um, the dungeons at the end of the zones are meant to be done with those quests that you get when you complete the storyline of that zone. And so I bet it just gives you, like, the quickest track to that dungeon quest because it'll give you, like, a quarter of a level. It gives you so much experience completing that quest and kind of locking out the rest of the... Uh, um... Yeah, no, I don't know. Like I said, I haven't really done much of it. I've just kind of watched it or I, i've i've installed it and i've kind of set it up on steve arena but i haven't really done much with it because i always feel like i got a little bit more than i can do with bill among and then maybe i'll do go play a different game or something really but, i uh i i feel like i'm actually pretty much done uh like for now on baron really the only things i can do on baron are big group activities like raiding and mythics and everything like that um, but there's not a lot of solo content for me left i have like the tail end of the suramar storyline to go through left on baron um but uh, that it was actually why Zan Hao was was really well placed when he was, um, because uh, right as I was kind of losing focus and like not quite caring about WoW and going to you know like other games or whatever, I was like you know what I I should get what Zan Hao to one ten and start hitting these um, uh, and start hitting these kind of uh, the like these milestones with the artifact knowledge on him so that you know when. I kind of get back into my wow groove, so to speak. I could, you know, hit the hit the ground running, but really just leveling's on how got me back into my wow groove uh, because the progression um, was uh, so. I don't know. It was it was just like so good to be going through the progression again. Mm -hmm. That's that's fair. Like I, I don't have a lot to do on Pillowmong. I just like it's like oh well, I should do withered army training today, and maybe I'll go fishing for some AP for my underlight angler. 
Um, oh, do you not do emissary quests anymore? I don't do them. I, I do like the the uh, the night hold ones. I just, there's not a, there's not like a lot of reason. Wait, to the do night it. hold ones, the nightfallen ones. Nightfallen ones, yeah, yeah. Okay. Just because they've got a chance. Like I'll do the curator ones because they've got a chance to drop some nice stuff. But like most of them, I just don't care about. Like you know, occasionally I'll go do something, but like there's not like a lot to do in them if that makes sense like it's it's like well i'm gonna get some ap i guess but that's about it like it's not like i'm trying to get the rep up on anybody anymore it's not like i'm um i'm gonna get anything valuable out of the out of the cash in terms of gear right i just kind of do the couple things i want to do like the couple of quests that 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 are neat i even stopped caring about like getting infernal brimstone and bacon for the most Mm -hmm. part Although I think I get I get well I get them relatively commonly. I I think part of the thing there though is that I don't have like a lot to do with like Your crafted items. Yeah, like like not, not like okay. nothing's there's nothing to really be built, especially with infernal brimstone. Um, you know, it's not like I have a, a severe need for obliterum or anything. So, you know, I interestingly I keep doing I I I keep clearing caches just because I know it's a thing that bumps up the bad luck protection on legendaries. Yeah, you know what I mean. And so like, I want more legendaries, uh, so I do them for that reason. Also because uh, I like blood and I like gold, and I get a ton of gold, and I get a, uh, uh, you know, I don't know. It, it, Doing doing the que- the the emissaries every day has basically made me order resources neutral for the foreseeable future. Um, uh, I just I basically get enough order resources out of the cash to be continually doing my um, uh, yeah, my see, I don't, uh, I don't have, whatever they're called. I don't I don't have a problem with that either. Like I do like a couple of world quests every once in a while, and then my uh, I I my uh, my follower that I bring out into the world with me. Gets me like fifty gold and a hundred order resources per quest, and that's usually enough for me. Um, I don't know. It's I, I'm okay with just kind of floating for a while with it. Um, Fair enough. I've been using the free time to watch Black Mirror. Oh boy. Um, which is a lot of fun. I recommend it to everyone. Yeah, I mean, I've been doing this leveling thing with Corthon um, because. Uh... Uh, I've been doing this leveling thing with Corthon because I'm watching Westworld. Ah. In fact, after we finish recording this, I'm going to go back and finish Westworld. I have like two episodes Oof. left. That, that's on uh, my uh, that's on my to watch list. Very high up. Pretty fucking good. We can probably do an episode on that uh, without too much trouble. Uh, I do intend to watch Black Mirror as well. However, mm. um, aren't there three seasons of it? Yes, there are three seasons. First season is and three. they're all anthologies or whatever. And so I'm not familiar with the definition of anthology. Anthology is each season is kind of standalone. No, no, no. Uh, each episode is standalone. Oh, fair enough. Wow, geez, man, that's even more standalone than I expected. Fair enough. Yeah. Um, there's three episodes of the first season, four in the second, and six in the third. I have watched the first two of the third season. Um, but it is a lot of fun. Um, it's kind of like a modern Twilight Zone. There's, it's not perfect, but I, I am enjoying it very much. Okay. Well. Uh, I guess that's good news. Um, we're at the endorino of our time. Yeah. Endorino. If you would so... like, if you'd like to email us and tell us what you think about Dungeons or Westworld or, uh, or Black Mirror, you can email us at some at gmail.com. You can watch us on twitch.tv slash some games. 
You can follow us on Twitter, like us on SoundCloud and iTunes and Google Play Store and all that stuff. You can leave comments and we'll read them. We'll be very happy. Um, and uh, I think that's about it. Buddy, did you have anything you wanted to plug? I have nothing left I want to uh, uh, plug. Um, in that case, uh, until next time, dear listeners. Until next time, loyal listeners.